Welcome to Get Paid for Your Pad, the number one podcast for Airbnb hosts and short-term rental professionals. You're listening to an episode of The Host Show. I am your host, Jasper Rivers, and we release a new episode of this show every single Monday. And in these episodes, I interview Airbnb hosts from all around the world to share their stories and provide tips and tricks on how to get started and be successful as an Airbnb host. Now, this episode is brought to you by Legends X, our 90-day short-term rental accelerator program that's designed to help you skill your hosting business by getting yourself out of the daily operations. So that frees up your time so you can become the CEO of your business instead of the manager and really focus on those higher level tasks that move the needle and allow you to grow. So for more information about Legends X and how to join, visit strlegends.com X. Now let's dive into today's episode. Enjoy the show. Get paid for your pet. Get paid for your pet. Get paid for your pet. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode number 529 of Get Paid for Your Pad. Today, we are going to talk about free steps to increase your Airbnb revenue 15 to 30%. Everybody wants to increase their revenue, so pay attention. We're going to share some cool some some cool strategies here. So, I invited the revenue management expert in our short-term rental space, Mr. John N. We've been friends for a while. You've, John, you've been part of our mastermind. Like we we go we go back a couple of years and yeah, I'm excited to chat to you about this. I think you came up with a really good pricing strategy. So I'm excited to dive into it. John, welcome back to the show, man. Yeah, thanks, Jasper. I think we met in Cartagena, right? In 2019 or 2020, actually. And yeah, so it's really good to be back on the show. And I'd love to talk to you about revenue management and you know how basically a, a, an approach that people can take to really, I think, increase their revenue. So let's, yeah. let's do it. Yeah, for sure, man. You know, we were talking before we started recording, and I think we are very on the same page as what we think is the best strategy to maximize revenue for Airbnb listings. So I'm excited to dive into it. Last time we spoke on the podcast, we were talking about how to select the your, your property management system. So if you're listening to this, you might know John from that episode. But yeah, let's get into it. And before we dive into it, how did you become? Because you're kind of like one of the you know, revenue management experts in the short-term rental space now, like how did you become to be that expert? I think basically I I fell into the short-term rental industry like a lot of other people. And from day one, I actually was playing with a lot of the technology, a lot of the systems, and essentially rolling up my sleeves and really focusing in, you know, detail on each and every property that I, I brought on for my own management purposes. And so I did not go to revenue management school. I did not, you know, I don't have any specific training, but what initially, obviously a lot of it was trial and error, but every time I met industry experts, you know, large operators, industry knowledge leaders, thought leaders, and, you know, I would kind of explain what, you know, my properties, the type of revenue that I was generating. And across the board, people were just saying, wow, like that's, you know, it was like two bedroom, two bath condos in Honolulu, but, you know, on average are grossing around $200,000, $225,000 per year. 
on a condo. And so, you know, it kind of piqued a lot of people's interest. And that that's when I kind of thought, like, I must be doing something right that, you know, across the board, you know, people are impressed. And so I started essentially documenting, like, what am I doing? What am I looking at? You know, what are the triggers that I'm looking at? And started doing that, you know, one by one. And so over the years, I've kind of collected experience and knowledge and built out a system that now I'm able to provide this service, not only for my own properties, but for other property managers. Awesome, dude. You know, let's uh, give us a quick background. You, you mentioned Honolulu. You have two bedroom condos there. Give us a quick background of like, you know, how many units you're managing and, and what your kind of what, what's your niche. Right. So in terms of the full management, my management company, it's I'm focused in Honolulu in Hawaii. My bread and butter properties are two bedroom, two bath condominiums in resort areas in Waikiki. And for those properties, again, you know, generate somewhere around two hundred to two hundred twenty-five thousand dollars per year gross. I'm managing 10 properties now. So a very small portfolio in terms of full management. On the other hand, with my revenue management and with TechTape, which is my technology service company, I have, I think, around 110 properties that I'm providing either revenue management or, you know, or some sort of technology service for. Sure. Awesome. Let's dive into the strategy here. Give us a background of like what what the, you know, I know there's like three steps that we're going to go through. But on a high level, like what's the what's the thought process behind revenue, this revenue management strategy? And can you give a background of like what, you know, like how how most hosts are using how most hosts are doing revenue management and how you think there's a better way, essentially? Yeah. I'll just start off by saying, you know, what I'm doing, anyone can kind of follow this along. So it's not some secret sauce, some, you know, some, you know, magic you know, black box thing that I'm doing in the background. I think it's just kind of a perspective on how to use the the data and the tools that are out there and available. And so I guess the background that I'll start off with is there's kind of a tendency, there's a lot of data in our industry. And so, you know, you keep hearing people saying, oh, my business is data-driven, data-driven. And what that kind of implies is that the data will tell me what the right answer is. And so I just can kind of trust the data to do it. And so in some industries, that makes a lot of sense because kind of the data set is kind of validated. And we can get into this a little bit. But in the short-term rental industry, one of the issues that I think with the data is the data is right. I'm not saying the data is wrong, but because every property is unique and the vast majority of the industry is set up by mom and pops, by individuals who are running their own you know, properties, there's no kind of set rule by which everyone is playing. And so what the data is telling you is just the average of everyone just guessing at what, what the price should be. And so trying to use the data to pinpoint exactly what price you should be at or what occupancy you should be at is really taking a lot of random noise that's been aggregated and then trying to make business decisions around that. And so that's kind of the first part of the concept that 
for me, the data is very important to, you know, to my business and to my revenue management, but I'm not looking at specific data points, specific numbers. What I'm really looking at are overall trends that the data is telling me, you know, are things picking up? Are things slowing down? And by looking at that kind of average data, not the specific, then you can get signals in your market and kind of understand what to do with that data. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. And, you know, just kind of explain this in a way that everybody I think will understand it is, you know, there's kind of like two ways. Well, first of all, like, you know, like most, I feel like most people, most professional hosts at this point are using a pricing app. Right. And there's a, there's a bunch of them out there. Right. There's, you know, the main ones that Price Labs, Beyond, Wheelhouse. And I think now there's a, there's a lot of, there's a bunch of other ones. But so most hosts have stepped away from just kind of manually putting in, like, you know, even like having just one price. Like, I remember when I got started, I looked at all our Airbnb listings. So I was like, oh, everyone's just charging one price for every single day of the year, you mm-hmm. know? And, 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 but I think most hosts have stepped away from that. We're using now a pricing app which is good but the challenge is with the pricing app you still have to tell the pricing app how to price right you have to set a strategy inside of the pricing app and that's what i see a lot of hosts struggle with they'll sign up for a pricing app and then but then they don't know like well how to set the parameters right and i i feel like there's two ways of doing it there's no number one this kind of you have well you have the base price and then you have the the variation around the base price based on your season, based on your day of the week, based on if there's something special happening in your market. So it's like the, you have the base price and you have the variation around the base price. And the big question is, how do you come up with that base price? Right? And there's kind of two ways of doing it. You could either say, hey, let's look at what other units, similar units in my market are doing, right? Or this, you can set it based on pacing, which which we'll go into because that's what your strategy is all about pacing, right? But to give a very simple example from when I started back back in the day in 2012 in Amsterdam, I looked at other units that were similar to my to my apartment and I noticed they're all priced at around 150. So then I thought, well, that means that mine should be priced around 152, right? But then what happened was I got booked out like three months in advance, like very, very quickly. And and I recognized, I was like, hey, if I'm getting booked so fast, like that, I could probably charge a higher price. Right. So I started raising my price. And at some point, I was charging like 300, like 350 a night. And I was looking at all the units. I was like, holy cow. <laughs> mm-hmm. I almost felt bad charging that much. I was like, this is a lot of money for like small apartment. But I was like, hey, people are paying it. People are happy getting five star reviews. Like, so I started like looking more of like, hey, I know. You know, roughly 30 days out, I should be, I should be about 50% booked. And then like, you know, 60, 90 days out, I should be about like maybe 30 or 20%. And I started just setting my prices based on that. So that's that's kind of like the two models. And you know, I'm curious to hear from you if that if this is accurate what I'm saying. But you can either either you look at what other units are doing or you look at and that's kind of like data-based, I guess. Or you just look at like, hey, how many bookings do I have? And how many bookings am I supposed to have this far out in the future? So what yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Right. It's you're you're exactly right. And I think it's a combination of the two, right? So one, if you're just going into a market that you know nothing about, 
at least the data, you know, what what your neighbors are doing kind of gives you some clue as to, you know, what the range and parameters and kind of the starting point should be. And so, you know, like I, I do revenue management around the world and I have not been doing that, you know, all, all around. So that's one data point to use what other, what the market, you know, similar properties are priced at. And then the other data point is, you know, whomever the the manager or the owner is, because they know their market too, since they've been in it. So that's kind of how you start off, right? But then at the end of the day, the second part of what you said, it's really finding what the market will bear. And I think a lot of people come in and say, hey, you know, this is a one bedroom with a beautiful view. You know, I updated it, so it's really nice. So it's it should be, and then they put a number, a low number and a high number and an average number. And then they play within that like bounds that they have set in their own minds for whatever reason. And the thing is, the people who are looking to book, they find value in different things. And so some people might value it more, some people might value it less. And so that second approach that you're saying of like looking at occupancy, like that's how you start settling into, you know, your overall pricing strategy. And the other thing that I, I want to say is even within the same, you know, neighborhood, if you have two, you know, similar houses, three bedroom, two bath house, every property, both the physical characteristics as well as online characteristics are different. So even if they're in one, you know, house, houses right next to each other. You know, one might be closer to a busier street or one might have a better view, right? Slightly. And that could be the differentiator. Or one house might have a four-star review, but has a hot tub, right? The other house does not have a hot tub, but has a 4.7 star review. And that can make the difference. And so you really can't like, I know there are people who do it and you know they're much smarter than I am, and that's how they figured it out. But I don't think. For me, I cannot figure out by having this one feature, it means it's a 10% increase in, you know, in how much someone's willing to pay. And so at the end of the day, it's the overall, you know, all the components of the listing and the property and the review that then people who are looking to book are saying, hey, I'm willing to pay this much for this property. And that's really like, it's that point that you're trying to find. If you're too high, no one's going to book. If you're too low, people are going to book way too fast. And so you're trying to find that, but not only in like the one month out, but the two months out and the three months out and the six months out. And that's the kind of what you what we're always trying to find as we're doing yeah. revenue management. Right. And that's that's what we call the demand curve. Yeah, right. Exactly. It basically means like, hey, for your and and that demand curve varies from market to market, but even from property to property, as you as you mentioned, or or should we be looking, or is, should, is the demand curve roughly the same? You think for for maybe for each neighborhood or a type of listing in a market? I think the demand curve overall is pretty similar in the market. So I don't think like similar properties in a in a market, the demand curve should be a, a, approximately similar. So I think that's where when I was saying you're looking at trends and not at specific data points what the what that overall market is doing is a pretty good sign of hey there's a pickup in this market okay so now let's find what people are willing to purchase at the same time if you see the demand curve going down 
you can get out ahead of it and not respond after having an empty calendar for two weeks, but get out ahead of it to get people to to book before the slowdown happens. Right. So when we when we look at data, it's not so much like the price points at what other units are getting booked at is more like the pace at which units are getting booked. So how far out in advance are people booking right now in the marketplace? That's a more right. important data point then, right? That's yeah, that's one of the key points that I, you know, that I look at to get the signals aside from the signals that you know, beyond pricing or real house or price labs, you know, provides it is frequency of people booking or inquiring within your market as a broad, you know, broad sense. Got it. So you develop this free step approach, right? That people can who are listening can implement and they can use it to increase their Airbnb revenue 15 to 30%. That's based on what you've seen, you know, in with the properties that you've used this strategy for. Of course, there's no guarantee, but but yeah, dive into the strategy. What's the what's the first step in that? Yeah. Let me add one more one more factor to consider and then I'll get right to it. Sure. The other thing is different people have different risk tolerance, right? And the mm. data is not going to tell you what your risk tolerance is. And so some people lose sleep if they're not, you know, two, three months booked solid because they think they're going to lose money. Other people lose sleep if it's too booked because they think they've already lost money, right? <laughs> and because of that, what you're trying to find, what the market will bear, it also has to factor in what is your risk tolerance in terms of your pricing and your, you know, your investment thesis. And so that's another part that, you know, we we need to work with other people, you know, the owner, the manager to understand what, you know, what's your risk tolerance and then base the strategy around that. So that the reason why I added that is that is an integral part of this, you know, the process. So it's very good in thing. a high level outline, you know, the three-step process that we have is first understanding the pacing in the market, as you just explained. So how fast are different time periods in your market? How fast is that? booking up, right? And so the activity within that market kind of shows you if there's a lot of bookings going on, you know that there's, you know, kind of a high demand period coming up and you can respond around that. So that understanding pacing, number one. Then out of that, this is where kind of your risk tolerance kind of aligns with this the step. You need to kind of establish what is the overall occupancy profile that you're looking at over time, right? And you mentioned this, Jasper, before, you know, when the within the last 30 days, there's you know, kind of a occupancy target that you're you're striving for. You know, within 60 days out, there's another, within, you know, I don't know, six months out, there's another. And so there's kind of an occupancy curve that you you ideally want to hit. And so that's where kind of your risk tolerance and pricing strategies align. I'm working with this one client who loves playing last man standing. <laughs> and so his <laughs> risk tolerance is so high, it actually makes me nervous, you know, because I'm like, it's still empty. He's like, don't worry. Like, you know, I want to play last man standing, right? In that case, you know, he, he's not based if he's at 50% occupancy two weeks out because he he feels confident that people are going to come in and book. 
right? So the occupancy profile is where you're aligning your risk tolerance with your, your pricing strategy. And so monitoring on that, then the third step is what you're doing is you're adjusting the price, the nightly rate as the lever to achieve that occupancy profile that, that you're trying to, you know, trying to achieve. Yeah. Right. So very simple. It's not rocket science, but it does take constant monitoring. It's kind of like the way I I think of it is Tesla has full self-drive, right? And the idea is the car knows what what it's supposed to do. You know, legally you have to keep your hands on the wheel, but really you're not. You don't need to. The reality is you do need to keep your hands on the wheel because you know the car doesn't always do the right thing. It's similar with revenue management. This three step process is fairly straightforward, but the algorithm I have not found that the algorithm can execute on it. You know, just based on rules and based on the data. And so that's where, you know, I guess a revenue management service, whether myself or, you know, some other service provider, that's the hands on the wheel of like making sure that, you know, it's going in the direction that you want it to go. Yeah. The free step approach is number one is like, you got to, you got to understand what's the pacing for your unit. What percentage of occupancy should you be at, at any point in time? Right. And that, that pace, we'll dive into like how we can calculate that. But then it's like the second step, establish your target occupancy kind of based on your risk profile. Right. Some people, like you mentioned, we, some people don't mind giving up a little bit of profit or revenue to have less variation. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're like, Hey, you know what? Like if maximize revenue, I should be 30% booked, but if I'm 40, 50% booked, I'm cool with that. Because of you know, I have a bit more security that way. So, and then the third step is uh, adjusting your your base. If you're using a pricing app, that would be your base price, right? Adjusting your base price in the in your pricing tool to either increasing if you're if you're ahead and decreasing if you're if you're behind, right? But let's let's go a little bit more into these these three steps. So first of all, the pacing. So, and we talked about a little bit about this, but so how do we how do we do that research? Do we look at our own historic data or do we look at the market data that we can pull from these pricing apps? I would say market data. Historic data is meaningful, but as you know, as we all learned, you know, during COVID, historic data, if something weird happens, is meaningless. And I believe in our industry right now, travel trends are shifting quite dramatically, unlike how, you know, they have been for decades and decades. And so at this point, still, I think historic data is something to look at just to see what happened. But it's really the market data and looking forward what what you're looking at. And so all the all the pricing tools that, you know, that are out there, wheelhouse, uh, Price Labs, I believe Beyond as well, and Buoy, which is a new, you know, newcomer in the dynamic pricing ecosystem. They have their version of, you know, providing what's going on in the market in terms of booking pace. That's how they get the the profile of, you know, when when they increase and decrease the prices. And so that's more market driven. Yes, if you have a big portfolio, you can look at your own portfolio to kind of see what's going on. But I think 
that step number one is really kind of that's the market data component of what's going on overall in your market and what are the events that are happening or what are the factors that are influencing it. So step one is really kind of the high level market information that you're gathering. Right. So then like, what's the actionable step? Do we create a little Excel sheet or something where, you know, we, we put down like, Hey, 30 days out, my market is 40% booked on, on that. Or I how, think, how does that work? What's So for me, it's a number of bookings or number of inquiries, right? For pacing. It's a combination of the actual booked. So if even if it's not booked, if there are a lot of inquiries around that date, then you kind of know, you know, something is something is going on, right? Maybe your prices are still too high, but at least there's a, a lot of activity. And then in wheelhouse or in price labs, there are some form of pacing report that tell you know that can show you, you know, how many, you know, how many bookings there have been in the market, you know, things of that nature. And so that is kind of a high-level tool, you know, data that I rely on data providers to provide. At the same time, within my portfolio, I could see, you know, let's say I have a portfolio of 30 properties in one, you know, one region. If, you know, all of a sudden there are a whole bunch of book, you know, bookings around a certain date, it's like, all right, there's something going on. And that's kind of, you know, where, where you're pinpointing. Yeah. Okay. So, and and then the, the, you know, the second step is like target, establishing a target occupancy. Do you do specific time periods for that? Like, do you say like, Hey, I'm looking at 30 days out, 60 days out, 90 days out. How, how does that work? How do you choose those timeframes? I, I think it's kind of our, you know, we live by months. So either Either it's like bi-weekly or monthly kind of timeframes, at least the way I look at it, right? So either two-week timeframes, if it's very, very specific, or kind of monthly timeframes. And that kind of gives you kind of a parameter. The way I look at looking at like big, you know, trends is when you're driving, you're not looking five feet in front of you and like responding to everything that's right in front, right? You're looking, you know quarter of a mile out kind of see the general direction that you want to be going right and so doing it on like a monthly basis allows you to have that kind of perspective i have some clients who want weekly reports and the weekly reports are actually really dangerous because that's like you know literally like driving looking two feet in front and like responding to everything that's in front of you yes you might have one week where you know there's a gap between you know, a couple of bookings. And so it looks like your occupancy has dropped tremendously. But if you respond to that, then you're going to be, you know, messing up your, your revenue management strategy. So generally, I think monthly is a pretty good time frame. If you have a low risk tolerance, probably quarterly. I've not worked with anyone who's looking at quarterly occupancy numbers, but, you know, that that's kind of a way that you can look at it. But, you know, at that stage, you kind of want kind of, bigger time chunks so that you're seeing big overall trends. So I think monthly is a pretty good, you know, pretty good time frame to look at. So then we say, okay, you know, one month out, I want to be 50% booked, two months out, I want to be 30% booked and three months out, I want to be 15% booked, for example. 
Yeah, right? and exactly. then what you do is you keep you keep an eye on the on your on your data. Maybe once a month you review the data and say like, hey, has anything changed in my market? When when are the bookings coming in? Maybe the bookings are shifting to more more last minute, or maybe the bookings are shifting more further out, and then you can kind of adjust those adjust those target occupancies. No, the the one thing I'll say is, you know, you said, you know, check in on it about, you know, every month. And that's the part where I would say it's keeping the hands on the wheel. You know, I think it's more, much more frequent than every month so that Mm -hmm. you can make the adjustments as, you know, as things are developing. So that's, you know, that's the one thing that I I would say, but yes, overall, what, you know, exactly what you, what you mentioned. And then, so going on to the, the third step. You're gonna say, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So adjusting the nightly right. So you know, my, <clears throat> I guess my question. I've, I guess I have two questions. Is number one is how oft, how quickly do we adjust? So let's say, let's say I'm like, I want to be fifty percent booked, thirty days out, and I'm forty percent booked. Is that enough of a gap to change my prices, or should I wait till the gap is like fifteen percent? And then number two, the second question, like how much do I adjust my price? And that's where the, I think you actually, you know, just hit the nail on the head, right? With the hammer. That's where the kind of the soft factor comes in. That's where, you know, with the algorithm and everything that there there are some, you know, obviously like what's that range, you know, is 40% too much to make adjustments or not? It's the combination of those two that I think the intuition or the human factor or human touch comes in. And so, yes, there are ways to create rules that say, you know, if it's more than 10% off, then discount it by this much and everything. But it hasn't been a hard and fast way that the algorithm can just fully do it. And so I can't give you a straight answer because that's where, you know, you make the adjustment and it still doesn't respond. And like, then you take additional, you know, measures to, you know, try to make sure that you get the response that you want. Right. Does that make sense? So that's, that's where, again, that's keeping the hands on the wheel. You know what you want to see, you know, generally what you want to do when things aren't happening the way they go, but then there are also kind of manual or, you know, additional adjustments that need to be made to make sure that you're achieving those goals and those targets. Yeah. So that's kind of like where that's kind of like the X factor, right? It's like knowing that's how I see it. Yeah. How quickly do I adjust and by how much? That's kind of the, you know, I always think of like pricing algorithms and revenue management as like there's the computer, there's the algorithm, and there's the human skill set, right? And it's like combining those two is where we can really optimize, right? It's like if you compare it to chess, it's like, a human still beats the computer, even though the computer can calculate a thousand. Not anymore, thousand actually, right? <laughs> really? I think Isn't now it? the computer beat would beat humans all the time. So hopefully revenue management could get to that level someday. <laughs> I um, thought I thought it was still like I thought it was still a human who was like the world champion versus the computer, but I might be wrong on that. I think very recently it's 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 shifted. Uh, but I think I think the reason why the human factor is there is also again it comes back to your risk factor, risk profile, right? So in that you know fuzzy area, if you're more risk tolerant, then you know you might wait longer or you might not make any adjustments. 
But if you're more risk averse, then you make more, you know, drastic adjustments. And so, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to say, oh, this is where the human factor comes in, you know, and I have that human factor. And so that's why, you know, I'm, that that's not it. It's really because there are multiple factors and influences that determine, you know, do you reduce it by 5%, 10%, 20%, right? And that kind of comes down to what are you comfortable with? And so that's where really, again, that's why I, I can't answer your question, but you can kind of say, all right, like, do I really want to fill this up and make sure I stay on target? Then you, you'll say, okay, I'm willing to, you know, give up a little extra, you know, potential extra earnings to try to make sure that I get that booking. Yeah. I got one, one last question on this. So let's say, let's say hypothetically, like I have a unit and you know, I'm seeing that like I'm not getting booked at the pace that the market's getting booked at. Mm-hmm. And so what I do is I lower my price a bit and then I still not, I'm still not getting the pace that I'm looking for. So I'm lower a bit more, but at some point I'm like, Hey, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to go below this. This is kind of like my minimum price. Yeah. Like, what's our play once we reach that point? So like we discussed earlier on, there are lots of factors that go into what people are willing to willing to pay and book, right? So if your market is really, you know, booking at, at a certain pace and at a certain price, and you're not getting it, I would say either, you know, your physical property, you know, are there consistent problems that on the reviews show up that, you know, I, highlighting some issues with your property? Basically, I would be looking at kind of your overall listing, overall property, you know, new photos. And I would do kind of an audit of what is going on with the property overall that people are not willing to book. Because again, this is exactly what you're saying. At the end of the day, the market will tell you if they if your property is desirable or not, right? And if you're 50% below what everybody else is getting, and still you're not getting bookings, there's got to be something about your pictures, your description, your reviews, that all those things are coming into play. I am not an SEO expert. I think there are other people who really look at every aspect of your listing, your amenities, you know, and really pull that apart. And so, you know, you might want to work with someone like that to really pinpoint what may be with the listing. But yeah, it's not, it's, yes, I'm not always just drop your price, just drop your price. That's not the answer to everything, but you have to look at the holistic picture and not just your revenue. Yeah. And that's where, that's where like it becomes useful to look at the prices that similar listings in your markets are getting booked at. Because like you said before, which I think is very true. It's like every listing is unique. Right. It could be it could be a, like even changing the orders of, of some photos. It could be changing your title, or it could be like really like going back and, and understanding your guest avatar and thinking about like, hey, what are people looking for in my marketplace? Like maybe I need a hot tub, right? Or maybe exactly. I, maybe some you could change the marketing, or you might have to change your offer. There's a mismatch between what needs you're catering to with your listing versus what needs are desired in the marketplace. Your ideal guest avatar actually might have changed between pre-COVID and now, gradually, right? And so that's actually a very valid point that you're bringing up. And then the other thing that I'll say, and 
you know, everyone says every listing is different and it, it sounds like a generic, you know, phrase. So I'll, I'll kind of jump into this just a little bit. When you're booking at a hotel, you get one image of a room and then they say, you know, it's, you know, the king bed suite and then they have 20 of those, right? So as far as booking is concerned, it's the exact identical product that people are booking. So they're identical. There's no difference. You know, if there's a bad review for that hotel, they're all impacted the same way, right? So that's a apples to apples comparison. You and your neighbor are completely different units, even if you have the same layout, same, you know, all that. And so that's where, you know, we're saying like, it's not just that physically they're different and different ownership, but the way it's advertised, every listing is unique. And so that's why you have to look at kind of each unit as an individual, but then also take the overall market condition as a, as a factor. Yeah. Makes a little sense. Awesome, dude. I appreciate you jumping on this podcast. It's been really interesting talking to you about this and I really like your, your strategy that you're using. Let people know where they can find you and how you can help them. Yeah. So I'm very active on LinkedIn. So if you search John on or tech tape on LinkedIn, you can definitely find me. I, you know, I respond to everyone who messages me there. My website is gettechtape.com, G-E-T-T-E-C-H-T-A-P-E.com. And that's where, you know, some of the explanation of the services that we provide are. And then if, if I could just, so I co-authored a, uh, a chapter in a book. It's called the uh, Book Direct Blueprint. Going to be published in, um, in December. So coming up right up uh, in about two weeks or so. And I don't talk about revenue management, but I do talk about kind of the thesis around the tech stack within within short-term rentals. And so, but then this book also has a lot of different authors like Price Labs and Mount and other other co-authors. So anyway, you can also find a, a, find me through that as well. Awesome, dude. Well, uh, thanks again for, for being on the show. I'm sure we'll have you back at some time. Hopefully I can come to Hawaii. I love, I love Hawaii. I haven't been there in a long time. So uh, yeah, thanks a lot, man. Thanks, Jasper. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right. And thanks for everybody who's listening. Hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. Hope you can implement some of the strategy that John shared. And if you do, let me know. Let me know if you see any results, if your revenue increases. And of course, Friday, we'll be back with another episode. So have a great week and we'll see you soon. Thank you so much for listening to Get Paid for Your Pad, the number one podcast for Airbnb hosts and short-term rental professionals. We really hope you enjoyed the show. And if you want to learn more about hosting on Airbnb and building a short-term rental business, then go ahead and subscribe to our daily email newsletter at getpaidforyourpad.com. And if you're just starting out on Airbnb, make sure to download our free Airbnb starter guide at getpaidforyourpad.com forward slash get started if you enjoy this podcast make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and please leave us a review on apple podcast for a chance to win lifetime access to the short-term rental profit academy our starter course for anybody who wants to start an airbnb business every month we select one random reviewer and give that person access to the course 
Um, so if you want to have a chance to win access to the course, uh, please leave us a review and then uh, you might uh, join our program pretty soon. So thank you for listening. Check back every Monday for a new episode of The Host Show and every Friday for an episode of SDR Conversations of the Get Paid for Your Pad podcast. Get paid for your pet. Get paid for your pet.